We're in the midst of a series of lessons on the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5, 22 and 23. In fact, let's read those two key verses out loud together as we begin today. They're up here on the screen. Would you read them with me? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now our goal in this series is to learn how we can develop these nine inner qualities of a Spirit-filled Christ follower in our lives. Now as we begin today's lesson, let me point out that there's a direct correlation between the fruit and the root. Okay? In fact, there in your notes, I've got a chart on the very front page. If you want to look at it real quick, we'll just kind of talk about this. This is kind of a no-duh thing, but it's important enough to point out, I think, this morning, the relationship between the fruit and the root. Each of these nine character traits that we're talking about is actually rooted in the very character and the nature of God Himself. And so, just to give you an example, the fruit of love. Well, that comes from the fact that God, of course, is love. He is Himself love. Joy. God is joyful. Peace. God is peace. Patience. God is patient. Aren't you glad? God is patient. Kindness. God is kind. Goodness. God is good. In fact, Jesus said God's the only one who's good. Faithfulness. God is Faithful, aren't you glad for that? His faithfulness to us. Gentleness, God is gentle. Self-control, God is self-control. I just point all of that out simply to say that what we're talking about here is God's very character, God's nature. And as the Holy Spirit, who is God, dwells in us and produces this fruit in and through our lives, wouldn't it just make sense that the fruit that He produces would be in its roots, God's own character now being produced in and through us in our lives. And so keep that in mind as we move forward in this study. The fruit of the Spirit. Now, two Sundays ago, we took a closer look at the first Christian virtue, which is love. Last Sunday, we focused on the second inner quality, which is joy. And as you probably have guessed already, from this big banner up here, as well as looking on here, as well as, I hope, paying attention during our song service this morning, we're going to be talking about peace. Now, it seems as though there are a lot of people searching for peace in their lives. This video, I think, so aptly points that out. We will climb great heights, even get in strange positions, searching for peace. We will spend lots of time and lots of money at the spa, getting massages, the golf course, or buying those toys and hanging out with the guys. We will look for peace on a nature ride, camping out, or hope relaxing by the fire with a few friends will finally bring it. If all else fails, we'll ask the doctor to help us find peace. While all these things might temporarily lower your stress level or take your mind off your problems for a while, there is only one 
true source of peace. Only one lasting peace. Only one peace that is free and always available. Jesus. Ephesians 2.14 declares that Jesus himself is our peace. And as we know Jesus and as the Holy Spirit dwells in us, again, one of the, the virtues that He produces in our lives is this quality of peace. The fruit of the Spirit. Peace. Let's begin today's lesson by looking at the dimensions of peace together. What exactly is this peace that the Holy Spirit produces in our lives? Well, in short, the Bible teaches that there are three facets of peace. Peace. Three dimensions, if you will, of peace. And they always come, by the way, in this exact order. It begins, number one, peace with God. Peace with God. Paul writes in Romans 5 and verse 1, Therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. When by faith we accept God's terms of forgiveness offered by Jesus' death for us on the cross, we who were once at war with God in rebellion against God are now then at peace with God. Colossians 1 verses 20-22 explains this in greater detail. It says, God made peace through His Son's blood on the cross. At one time, you were far away from God. And were as enemies because of the evil things you did and thought. But now, by means of the physical death of His Son, God has made you His friends. And so, the dimensions of peace begins with this. The peace that we make with God. That then leads to number two, which is the peace of God. The peace of God. Read Philippians 4, verse 7 out loud with me. Let's read this together. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, once we've made our peace with God, then the peace of God is ours to enjoy. There is a peace, a calmness of spirit, a confident assurance, if you will, that begins to permeate our entire lives. And notice here that Paul says it guards our hearts and minds. Literally, the word there is garrisons. It it literally is like a platoon of soldiers encamped around us and surrounding us and protecting us. And so the dimensions... A peace begins with peace with God, which then leads to the peace of God. And then, number three, comes peace with others. One of the Beatitudes that we looked at last Sunday, Matthew 5, verse 9, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers. Paul put it this way, Romans 12, verse 18, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. In Romans 14, verse 19, he wrote, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace. In other words, once we have made our peace with God and we are enjoying the peace of God in our lives, then we can begin to pursue peace with 
others. But again, I want to point out that the dimensions of peace must follow this exact order. It begins with peace with God. Then we experience the peace of God. And in that, then, we begin to pursue peace with others. Don't get the cart before the horse. (laughs) So which of these three dimensions of peace, then, is the focus of the fruit of the Spirit? In Galatians chapter 5. Well, I think we can be confident that it's not peace with God, since making peace with God is a prerequisite to the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the resulting fruit of the Spirit that follows. So, is it the peace of God or is it peace with others? That is, this Christian virtue that the Holy Spirit produces in the Spirit-filled Christ follower. Well, perhaps we can make a case for both, actually. However, for the remainder of today's lesson, I want us to zero in on the peace of God. The peace of God, that calmness of spirit, that that confident assurance that permeates our entire lives and guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And so, with this focus then, let's move on to the diversion from peace. We already saw this in the video, but there are so many things that threaten to rob us of peace in our lives. However, I believe that the single greatest diversion from peace is fear. Jesus Himself recognized this and He said to His followers in John 14 and verse 27, Peace I leave with you, My peace I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Fear. Call it what you want. Fear, anxiety, worry, stress, doubt, panic. It cannot coexist with peace. In fact, it is the opposite of peace. Fear. Let me expand on this diversion from peace a bit by identifying some specific fears and then offering an attribute from God's character that counteracts each of these fears. And a recent survey identified the most common fears that we face today, the top ten. So in Letterman style, let me give you the top ten countdown list of fears in our lives today. Number ten is the fear of inadequacy. The fear of inadequacy, the feeling of inadequacy is a fear that we all face in one way or another in life. It surfaces in statements like, I can't do this, or I don't have what it takes to do that. (laughs) And the key, of course, to overcoming this in our lives is God's power. God's power at work within us. In fact, read Ephesians 3 and verse 20 out loud with me. Let's read this together. Now glory be to God who by His mighty power at work within us is able to do far more than we would ever dare to ask or even dream of infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. Yeah, it's beyond our imagination what this power, God's power, can do in our lives. This is the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now available to us in our daily lives to help us to overcome the fear of inadequacy. Number nine is the fear of guilt. The fear of guilt. Well, I think autumn's here, isn't it? Which means, if you haven't looked at your calendar, holidays are just ahead of us. 
Many of us are going to be taking trips to visit family and friends over the next several months. But there's one trip that none of us should ever take in our lives, and that is the guilt trip. Guilt and shame often overwhelm us and rob us of peace. Now, of course, the fear, the key to overcoming this fear is God's love. 1 John 4, verse 18, in fact, reminds us love contains no fear. Indeed, fully developed love expels every particle of fear, for fear always contains some of the torture of feeling guilty. We don't have to feel guilt and shame any longer because we're living in God's love. He loves us so much. And as we bask in that love, we realize I don't have to have this guilt trip. I don't have to carry around this shame with me any longer. God loves me fully and completely and unconditionally. Number eight is the fear of loneliness. The fear of loneliness. This last week, it was amazing. I was doing some research on this and I just typed in, what's the most common emotional pain in our society today? I had some ideas in my mind. Depression, anxiety, stress. Actually, sociologists tell us the most common emotional pain in our society today is loneliness. Isn't that interesting? Loneliness. There are many telltale signs. I mean, look at social media on the Internet. People are linking up with other people, Facebook, Twitter, and so on. Uh, Psychic hotlines are still a big thing. People are longing to talk to someone about their lives. Coffee shops, bars, clubs, other gathering places. People are wanting to get around other people to hang out. Personals online and in newspapers and magazines. People are hungry for companionship. Beer commercials. Yeah, you heard me right. Beer commercials. Uh, Those of you that are sports fans, beer commercials aren't about selling beer. Did you ever realize that? They're all about relationships. That's what it's about. This bud's for you. So find a bud and have a bud. No? It's all about relationship. So what's the key to overcoming the fear of loneliness? Well, it's God's presence in our lives. God's presence. I love Psalm 16, verses 8 and 9, where He says, I am always aware of the Lord's presence. Are you? I'm always aware of the Lord's presence. He is near and nothing can shake me. I am so thankful and glad and I feel completely secure. Why? Because I'm in God's presence. And when I'm in God's presence and God is near me, nothing can shake me, nothing can harm me. I don't have to be alone. I never am alone. Number seven is the fear of insignificance. This is a big one, I think. What if I get to the end of my life and I haven't accomplished anything that's significant and lasting? Mm. What if no one notices me or appreciates me? What if when I'm dead and gone, no one even misses me? Do you know there are a lot of people asking those questions? And the key to overcoming the fear of insignificance is trusting in God's acceptance of us. Speaking of acceptance by God, Paul writes in Ephesians 2, verses 8-10, through 10, the whole process comes from nothing that we have done or could do. It is God's gift. 
Any achievement of ours is ruled out to make it impossible for anyone to boast. It is He who made us what we are. Isn't that a significant statement? It's He who made us what we are. He's the one who gives us our significance. It's all from Him. It doesn't depend upon what other people think. I'm significant because God made me significant. And it's because of His acceptance that I don't have to worry about being insignificant. I'm never insignificant in God's sight. Number six is the fear of finances. It's a big one in our culture. Financial fears come in all shapes and sizes in our lives. We worry about income and we worry about expenses. We worry about inflation and we worry about recession. We worry about debt. We worry about our credit score. We worry about our taxes. We worry about our investments and savings and our retirement and our wills and our living trust and about the plummeting property values around us. So what's the key to overcoming financial fear? It's trust in God's provision. Trusting in God's provision. He is the provider. Philippians 4, verse 19. Let's read this one out loud together. My God will supply all that you need from His glorious resources in Christ Jesus. doesn't say all you want, (laughs) but it does say all you need. All your needs. God will supply. He's got more resources than you can probably fathom. You don't have to worry about finances. God will provide for your basic needs. Just as He cares for the sparrow, He will care for you. Number five is the fear of harm. The fear of harm. What if something happens to me? What if I'm mistreated or abused? What if I get terminally ill? Or I suffer some kind of a debilitating injury? What if... (laughs) You fill in the blank with whatever tragedy or harm you may fear comes your way. See, the key to overcoming the fear of harm is trusting God's protection. The Bible gives us a wonderful promise to cling to. Isaiah 43, verses 2 and 3. It says, When you walk through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God. God has spoken. Now, He didn't say, if you walk through the water. He didn't say if you walk through. Notice He said when. (laughs) Because those times of, of hard times are going to come. Yes, they will. But when you go through those times, you can trust God to bring you through them triumphantly and victorious. Number four is the fear of change. The fear of change. We don't like change, many of us. Leith Anderson, pastor and sociologist, writes, The currents of society are becoming more powerful. The waves of change are crashing closer. It is increasingly difficult for any individual, family, business, organization, church, or community to escape the sweeping changes. No one is isolated. No one is exempt. Whether for good or ill, whether we like it or not, change is inevitable. Change is inevitable. So how do we overcome the fear of change? God's immutability. Which is a big word meaning He's changeless. 
He never, ever changes. In fact, James 1 verse 17 tells us, All God's giving is good, and every perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of the lights of the heavens. In Him there is no change. Hebrews 13 verse 8 puts it this way, Jesus Christ never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do I hear an amen for that? We can trust Him. We can anchor our very souls to the rock that never wavers, never changes. When everything else around us is changing, we have one. The one who never changes. And so, when you are fearful of the changes that are sweeping through the world today, just hang on to the rock. Number three is the fear of the future. Fear of the future. Fear of what may, possibly might happen causes a lot of anxiety and worry and dread and apprehension and stress and doubt in our lives. I mean, there's hardly a day that goes by that we don't have to deal with tomorrow in one way or another. And the key to overcoming the fear of the future is trusting in God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness. Read Hebrews 13 verses 5 and 6 out loud with me. Let's read this one together. God has said, I will never, never fail you nor forsake you. That is why we can say without any doubt or fear, the Lord is my helper and I am not afraid. Isn't that a great couple of verses there? God's never, never, ever going to fail us. He's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. He's our helper and we don't have to be afraid. His faithfulness is always there. We can count on Him in the past. We can count on Him in the future. Number two is the fear of failure. It's a big one with a lot of people. It's one of the most paralyzing fears that we can face in our daily lives. It can lead us to indecisiveness, being afraid of making any decision (laughs) because we think it may be the wrong decision. It can cause us to become workaholics, getting stuck on the performance treadmill because we're striving for success. We don't want to fail. It can foster an attitude of perfectionism, fear that if something isn't absolutely perfect, then it isn't acceptable. So what's the key to overcoming the fear of failure? It's trusting in God's grace. Trusting in God's grace. It's way bigger than your fear of failure. Ephesians 1 verses 7 and 8 reassures us, For by the blood of Christ we are set free, that is, our sins are forgiven. How great is the grace of God. Don't miss that. How great is the grace of God which He gives us in such large measure. More than you could possibly contain, in fact. (laughs) His grace is so amazing. Don't have to worry about failing. You'll never... You might fail, but you will never be a failure. There's a difference. Number one is the fear of death. That's the number one fear in our society today. The fear of death. What will happen when I die? How can I be prepared for the hereafter if there even is a hereafter? Can I know for sure that I'm going to spend eternity in heaven? And on and on our questions go surrounding the fear of death. Now, of course, the key to the question surrounding the, the overcoming that fear of death is God's assurance. There you go. God's assurance. We don't have to fear death. 
God has given us His assurance. Let's read 1 John 5, verses 11-13 through 13 out, together, out loud together. God gave us eternal life. The life is in His Son. So whoever has the Son has life. Whoever rejects the Son rejects life. You who believe in God's Son will know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you have eternal life. That's God's assurance. See? That's the assurance that we can have. We don't have to worry about death. I mean, we may not understand death. We may not know what's going to happen because nobody that's been there has been back to tell us about it. And we don't know what it holds, but we know who holds us to take us through it. So there you have it. The top ten lists of fears that threaten to rob us of the peace of God in our lives and an attribute of God's character that can help us to overcome each of these fears. I hope you will back through and review that. Uh, this next week and just kind of think through that a little deeper than we're able to do in the short time together today. Which brings us then to our final main point, and that's the directions for peace. As I always say, when all else fails, read the directions. <laughs> so what are the directions for peace? Second Thessalonians 3, verse 16, we read, Now may the Lord of peace Himself give you peace at all times and in every way. Well, wouldn't you like to have that? So now how do we allow the Holy Spirit to produce the fruit of peace in our lives? As we're yielding to the Holy Spirit's work in and through us, what are some practical steps that we can take so that we can experience the peace of God at all times and in every way? How do we do that? Well, earlier I asked you to turn your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 4. And so we're there now. (laughs) Philippians chapter 4. And I want us to look together at verses 6 through 9. So, you got your Bible open? Follow along with me, would you? Philippians chapter 4, Paul picks it up, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers. Whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think, literally, let your mind dwell on such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Don't miss those words. And the God of peace will be with you. Now, I think we can summarize Paul's direction for peace under two key words. And the first key word, of course, would be prayer. I mean, it's no accident to me that immediately after talking about not being anxious, but presenting our requests to God in prayer in verse 6, that Paul then talks about the peace of God in verse 7. <laughs> I love the way, in fact, the message paraphrases these two verses. Look at these with me. It says, Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. I love that last phrase. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry. At the center of your life. How does that happen? It happens through prayer. 
by being a people of prayer. Not allowing your worries and your fears and your anxieties to tear you down, but every time one of those peeps his little head up, you're on your knees, you're on your face before God in prayer. So I was growing up in the church, we used to sing a simple little chorus. Why worry when you can pray? Trust Jesus. He'll be your stay. Don't be a doubting Thomas. Rest fully on His promise. Why worry, 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 worry when you can't pray? Simple little chorus. I've never forgotten it. (laughs) I'm so glad I learned that chorus because there's such truth in it. Why worry when you can pray? When we're stressed and we're anxious about some fear that threatens to rob us of peace, we just let it go. We give it to God in prayer. God, this is attacking me. This is, this is threatening to rob me of, of my peace that You have given to me. This is taking away the peace that I was enjoying. It's causing anxiety and worry and stress in my life. God, I just before You, I just lift it up to You. And God, I want to just let go of it. I want You to have it. It's all Yours. He told me I could do this. What an awesome thought. God told us we could do this. The second key word is practice. Verse 8, Paul reminds us to focus our attention on what's true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. You see, so often we are distracted by the world. We focus on not those words, but a whole bunch of other words <laughs> around us in our circumstances. All the, all the garbage of the world rather than the truth of God. And Paul warns us, don't let that happen. Keep your mind focused above on the things that please God. Read Isaiah 26 and verse 3 out loud with me. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, whose thoughts are fixed on you. Notice what it says. Whose thoughts are fixed on you. That's where perfect peace comes from. The question is, where are your thoughts this morning? Are you focused on God's Word or are you focused on the world's Word? Are you focused on things above or are you focused on all the garbage down here below? And then in verse 9, Paul tells us, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Literally, that's a continuing action verb in the Greek. Keep on putting it into practice. Never stop putting it into practice. And what will happen if we do this? Paul finishes up verse 9 by saying, and the God of peace will be with you. Simply put, the peace of God will be ours to enjoy when we continually and consistently live according to what we're learning from God's Word, the Bible. When we obediently put into practice what we're receiving and we're hearing from Scripture, the peace of God will become ours. God Himself put it this way, Isaiah 48, verse 8, If only you had paid attention to My commands, your peace would have been like a river. I almost sang that song this morning. i got peace like a river. I've got peace like a river. Wouldn't you love to have peace like a river flowing through your soul? I mean, never a river that never goes dry, not like in our drought around here. No drought in God's river. His peace just keeps flowing and it flows through our lives and it just washes over us and it never stops. Never. When does that happen? When we're obedient 
to His commands, when we are following His Word, when we're putting into practice what He has instructed us to put into practice. So what are the directions for peace? Well, according to Paul here in Philippians 4, verses 6-9, through how do we allow the Holy Spirit to produce this fruit of peace in our lives? Well, it certainly includes these two steps. Prayer and practice. That ought to be easy to remember. Prayer and practice. Easy to remember, yes? A little harder to do? The fruit of the Spirit. This morning we focus on this third virtue of the Christian life, the third quality of the inner character of a genuine, authentic Christ follower, and that's peace. Galatians 5 verse 22 tells us the fruit of the Spirit is peace. And as we've discussed the dimensions of the diversion from and the directions for peace in today's lesson, let me ask you this question as we close. Are you walking in the Spirit? Are you keeping step with the Spirit and experiencing the peace of God in your life today? Is it obvious that you are Spirit-filled because of the peace that permeates every facet of your daily life? You are at peace with God and you're experiencing the peace of God. And people notice that. It's visible. Because fruit, you see, is visible. You understand that, right? Fruit is visible. And people see that in your life and they go, what is it about you that makes you different? 